in the name of one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. In Mark's Gospel, we hear the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. This Gospel is the shortest of the New Testament Gospels, and it is often brushed aside by those who are seeking more detail about Jesus' sacrificial ministry. There's no birth narrative. We're missing some of Jesus' most famous teachings. And the whole thing will come to an end before the risen Jesus appears to his beloveds. Some find this gospel to be quite troubling in the way that Mark portrays the disciples and Jesus. In Mark, Jesus doesn't just confront his foes. He also confronts his friends. He even seems at times challenge God. The disciples never do seem to understand Jesus' message. Again and again, they will suffer misunderstandings and setbacks. Even in today's gospel, read back a couple of verses and see that Peter just made this astounding proclamation of clarity and vision that Jesus is the Christ. And then this passage, wow, we seem to witness Peter's shame and certainly his disappointment. And of course, it will get worse. Most will disappear when Jesus faces death. In spite of all this, or perhaps because of it, I love the brevity and the succinctness and the power of Mark's gospel. And I'm actually grateful that in this uh, season of uncertainty and loss and death, and hope and rebirth that we find ourselves intertwined with this particular gospel. Mark's gospel is most likely the earliest written gospel and it brings an urgent message about God's coming kingdom. In Mark, Jesus shows the world what that kingdom looks like through his feats of power as well as through Jesus' anguish and torture. And along the way, he encourages others to trust in God's kingdom and to accompany him, partner with him really as God's power defeats hatred and corruption and evil over and over again. In the end, Jesus' resurrection displays God's power over death itself. I think it's helpful to understand this story in relation to the traditions and the Jewish customs and the thinking that was common in Jesus' day. People are suffering. People are suffering under Roman rule, and they are desperately hoping that God's heavenly kingdom will not only find a place on earth, but will completely permeate all aspects of the culture, of people and politics and places, Mark's good news is that Jesus, in Jesus, that kingdom has indeed come near. And those loyal to God's kingdom, they will suffer. They will suffer in the meantime. But salvation will soon arrive throughout the earth. The message is crystal clear. Those who follow Jesus must continue to hold firm, to keep their faith, and to wait for God to refresh and renew the whole world, bringing us to unity 
and peace. Perhaps what's most compelling about Mark is that Jesus' disciples are far from perfect in this story. And I think that's the part for me uh, that uh, in some of my, in most of the days of my life, actually, it's imperative for me to understand God through that lens. You know, sometimes the disciples, they misunderstand Jesus. Sometimes they fail. They absolutely fail to understand almost everything about him, his power, his glory, his authority, his deep, deep, passionate love for them. And they pursue grandeur and high ranking instead of action and servanthood. They're always seeking the approval that comes with seat or privilege. They sleep when he asks them to stay awake. They flee when he's arrested in the garden. And today, of course, won't be the last time Peter botches this whole chosen of God thing. Seriously? The rock upon which the church will be built? Indeed. And he, as we know the story, will deny Jesus, not once, but three times. Despite these faults, Jesus never gives up on them. He never gives up on them. Those who follow him, they are together, and he remains with them. He nudges them. Sometimes he pokes them gently and sometimes not so gently. And he moves them toward this servanthood and life of faithfulness. Even after his death, even after his death and resurrection, a messenger delivers the word to the women at Jesus' tomb that Jesus is going ahead, going ahead of the disciples in Galilee. Even after his death, the risen Jesus promises, promises his presence as his followers continue to trust God's coming kingdom. In Mark's gospel, there is good news. And the good news proclaimed is that God's kingdom is on the horizon. Many biblical scholars and historians and commentators, they agree that this message was the identifying marker uh, central to Jesus' earthly ministry. But how do we understand God's kingdom? For Mark, it's the very real hope that's rooted in Jewish thought that God's power will soon overwhelm Rome's. And for us, that God's authority and power will soon overwhelm the powers that rule our secular systems and institutions of governance. And Mark expects completely that God's kingdom will arrive at any moment. In the meantime, those who trust in God's kingdom suffer. Suffer at the hands of those whose power comes from this time in history. By following a suffering Christ, Mark's audience and we take a place within God's new creation, within this reordering, this reorienting, this transformative world that stands against evil where evil exists and always seeks the good that is the love taught to us through the life of Jesus. Even death, death itself, 
will finally be wrested from the hands of anyone or anything that would attempt to destroy the creatures or the creation of God. We're in a time when so many are experiencing great suffering. And I don't know that some of us, I can't, I don't know that some of us can really understand the powerful images that Jesus is raising in the minds of his disciples. I do believe that there are too many of us who can understand. Those who are the walking suffering and the wounded those who are living with unemployment and those who are experiencing hunger and homelessness because of it. Those who live in food deserts and whose neighborhoods where, where those in power have ignored their needs for far too long. Those who are marginalized and victimized because of their sexual orientation. Accosted, accosted really over and over again by the church, by their families, by the government. Those who are victimized through racism, criminally victimized, murdered by those who are commissioned and take vows to protect and serve. And those who are murdered who are commissioned to protect and serve. Too many of God's beloved understand these images of a Christ who will suffocate, suffocate on a cross, drowning in the evils of humanity. Jesus chose the cross. He chose to die that he might raise all of us, all of creation, to a new life. He chose to take our sin with him so that everyone might come within his saving embrace. And I believe that he is asking the same of us. For us to die to self, such that we may raise up those who are living in despair. To feed, as Jesus will finally ask of Peter, those who are hungry for God. The Russian-Canadian social worker and really a true pioneer of social justice, Catherine Doherty, wrote this. The hunger for God can only be satisfied by a love that is face-to-face, person-to-person. It is only in the eyes of another that we can find the icon of Christ. We must make the other person aware we love him. If we do, he will know that God loves him. He will never hunger again. In the season of Lent, we're asked to empty ourselves of self through prayer and fasting and giving of alms, such that we may be filled with the love of God and so filled that we are overflowing and we recognize our call to feed a hungry, angry, lonely, tired world that we show to God's beloved that the kingdom is come near. And not only that we point to the kingdom, but that we show the kingdom of God here on earth to those who are most in need. Jesus has touched us and continues to touch us 
through the Holy Spirit which flows to us and through us and from us. Jesus overcame pain and death, and as followers, we can too. We have the responsibility and the privilege to seek out and touch the broken places in God's creation. That the world will become a place for healing and peace, and that those who are in and of this world, they will become healers as well. We will become the healers God has called to the world. Only by letting go of ourselves will we be able to pick up God's mission and grasp the deeper, more satisfying blessings of life in Christ. The call to Peter is not to shame him. It's to say, get in line, get on board, we're going. We're going and I need you to follow me. Following Jesus, even when he leads us where we wouldn't choose to go and we do not wish for him to go, trusting him to make the sacrifices he asks of us, it's hard work. And hard work is hard. This is the work of discipleship. It's the mission of reconciliation. Hard work and good work. Jesus is going. It's time for us to take up our crosses and follow.